Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. No, but one receiveth the prize. He says, so run that ye may obtain. Question is, know ye not, speaking to the Corinthians, that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain, that ye may obtain. Simply tonight, I want to minister this, run to win. Run to win. Hallelujah this evening. Father, I come to you tonight. God, I pray, oh, Lord Jesus, that we could just join our voices together as we have thus far in worship to you. Pray, oh, Lord, tonight, God, that you're able to speak, Lord, through your word. God, I'm just a voice. God, just an instrument, a vessel. I pray, God, that you could have free play, God, through here this evening. God, through and by your word, you're able to help us, Lord, in the next few moments, God, that... Lord, some words, Lord Jesus, would come forth, that they would be anointed, that they would touch us, Lord, anew and afresh, God, by your spirit, and that we would be empowered, Lord, through the word of God. Lord, that we would be commissioned, Lord Jesus, God, to do, Lord God, what you have asked of us to do, Lord, through and by your word. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. The church says amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight in the lovely name of the Lord. Run, look at your neighbor and tell them, run to win. Run to win. The Apostle Paul is doing something here in the book of Corinthians that we find him doing various other of the epistles that he had penned to particular churches and regions. What he is doing is really uh, taking something that is concrete, something that the people can relate to, and almost in an allegorical type of way, transposing that to a spiritual level. He's taking something that they are all uh, been exposed to at one time or another, and that is during his time, the time of the Corinthian church, it was nothing for them to be exposed to the games of their day and the games of their hour. Uh, From the country of Greece, they had the Olympic Games that took place every four years. As still yet, the custom seems to carry on uh, from winter and and summer games as it would be. And nevertheless, as as this would take place, uh, they would take in all the different... uh, Uh, things that these people could participate in in these games in Corinthian in Corinth it was the Isthmian games that they would be able to observe and have observed in their lifetime and so Paul is leaning upon their experiences and how they can relate to these very natural things and he's going to transpose what they saw and what they understood and what they witnessed to a spiritual plane and so with that he knew in these games that there were various uh, activities that people could could involve themselves in there were literal foot races that they had even as they still uh, participate in today and that there were uh, boxing matches that took place in these games and there were wrestling matches that took place in these games even that long ago 
jumping matches like long jumps and things of that nature that are still very much so alive even in our day. And back then, of course, a little differently, they had chariot races that I don't necessarily think we have any of those that goes on today. Maybe I'm ignorant of the fact, but they had chariot races and they had horse races and all these different things that they were involved in. And so Paul's just taking them on a journey. And so whenever he asked them the question, know ye not they which run, he is speaking about something that they're not oblivious to. They have all been exposed to these gangs. They've been exposed to uh, these races, whether they be horse or chariot or individuals that have run these races. And so when he poses the question, know ye not that those which run, run all in these races, every single one of them are running, but he says in those races that you have observed in your lifetime and now your children are observing, said they all here are just one out of all of them that's going to receive the prize. And he says as a result of that, he then makes a translation here and he does a transposing from that race to transposing it to a spiritual aspect of the new believers at Corinth and he says, so run speaking to them in this race of Christianhood and this, this race of life lived for the Lord. He says, so run that ye may obtain. In other words, he says, well, to the same degree and effort that they on a natural level are running to attain a prize and obtain a reward at the end of their journey. He says, let us not run any less with any less vigor or any less tenacity in this race called Christianhood so that we likewise may obtain a prize. Someone say amen. And so since Paul, the apostle that we respect so much, was able to take something concrete and uh, transpose it to a spiritual level with spiritual aspects, I thought tonight I might be able to do the same on two premises. Paul did it, and I have the same name that he did. And so with that being said tonight, there are various things right here within our own world that we could look at that each and every single one of us may have some type of acquaintance with or that we are related to. When we look into the arena of the sports world, we, could, we might be able to take bowling and bring some spiritual applications out or, or we could bring gymnastics or baseball or football or soccer or tennis or racquetball. We could bring all these different type of sports perhaps that you can relate to, maybe some of you have played even been successful maybe to a certain degree in and, and bring out, if you will, some parallels or similarities that would have some type of spiritual connotation for you and I. And so with that being the case tonight, what I would like to hone in on here just for a little while is what just took place yesterday. The first Saturday of May in every year, there are people from all over the country that convene in Louisville, Kentucky, an arena known as Church Hill Downs, where the Kentucky Derby takes place. It is that race where there were 20 horses that are racing that go for a mile and a quarter in about two minutes time, whether a few seconds more or a few seconds less than two minutes time. As a result of that, it has been called and deemed the most exciting two minutes in sports. Others have called it the fastest two minutes in sports. Those horses are peaking out at 45 miles an hour and can and maintain that for an easy one mile stretch and the total existence of the race.
race is a mile in a quarter. quarter. It's been called the run for the roses because of the lattice of the roses that are placed around the jockey and his horse that has crossed the finish line. It is the first of three races in our American circuit that's known as the Triple Crown Circuit. The Kentucky Derby is the first of those three. And so yesterday on May the 7th of 2016, it was the 142nd running of the Kentucky Derby to the tune that the winner's purse was to the amount of $2 million for those that would cross the finish line being in first place. Now, in order for a horse, in order for it to participate in such a race, it's got to at least be three years old to participate. Not only that, it has a bloodline, that generations of pedigree that goes back further than what our eyes can see. They open up the pages of pedigrees, they'll trace back not just generations or decades but millennia of bloodlines to get the proper horse that has the right muscle tone and the right stamina and the right performance and for all of this they are all trying very hard to come against a record that was set back in 1973 by a famed horse by the name of Secretariat. Secretariat man had some speed in his hooves. They say that he crossed the finish line at the Kentucky Derby at 1 minute 59 in two-fifth seconds and there has been no horse since then that has ever topped that record since that day in 1973. But here is what I see as interesting for our, our purposes here tonight. The Kentucky Derby is at one mile and a quarter and that one mile and a quarter in that Kentucky Derby race is the first time that those three-year-old horses will have ran at that distance in a race. All the races leading up to the Derby top off at one mile and an eighth, just an eighth short of being one mile and a corner, quarter. So there's nobody in the stadium, not even the owner, not even the jockey, amen, that knows in this particular arena of being an actual race, they do not know whether their horses or how their horses will run in the last eighth of a mile in the Kentucky Derby. They don't know if he will tire out. They don't know if the competition of the arena along with the extra distance will draw him back where he won't push through the way that he needs to push through in order to get to the finish line. And so with all this said, they have people that crunch numbers and they sit down the tables and they make calculations on mathematical calculations that they call final fractal theory. And these theories are nothing but this. They figure out by their theories what horses can be true contenders in the Kentucky Derby. And those horses that are true contenders in the Kentucky Derby are those who in their final prep race are finishing their final eighth mile in 13 seconds or less or and also finishing their last three eighths of a mile in 38 seconds or less meaning that if they meet this criteria that they 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 go their three eighths mile in less than 28 seconds and they go their last eighth mile in 13 seconds or less then that horse if it meets that criteria it may fail farewell then in that extra one eighth of a mile that's tacked on to a race that they never ran at that distance With that being said tonight, then the race that was held yesterday wasn't solely about speed. 
It wasn't solely about how fast a horse can run in an overall race. But it was just as much about a horse not digressing when it seemed the end in sight. Someone say amen. A horse with those types of times in the last eighth and last three-eighths of the journey, in that last qualifying race, amen, what that indicates to those who have interest in this type of thing is that, that that particular horse did not allow itself to become weary in the last leg of the journey, that that horse did not allow, amen, length or distance or tiredness or circumstances or self-things that it was experiencing in its body to cause it to draw back, to let up, to quit, to throw in the towel. Someone say amen. And so the contenders that lined up, those 20 horses that lined up yesterday at that starting line were people, were horses with overall times that weren't necessarily overall good times, but they were horses that knew how to finish well. They were horses that knew how to run the last leg of their course and the last leg of their journey. Can I tell this congregation of people tonight in reality on a spiritual plane when we get down to the nuts and bolts of everything it's not how swift you are running this Christian race it's not even how fast you started in this Christian race but the determining factor when it's all said and done is how are we going to run the last leg of the journey how we Someone say glory. It really all comes down to our endurance. Someone say amen. Perhaps the reason why that Jesus spoke to his disciples in Matthew 24 when he's talking about the signs of the end, all of the indications of the end, the indications of his second coming, when he's talking about wars and rumors of wars and people saying there are Christ or over here is Christ. And he's talking about this is just the beginning of sorrows. And he begins to talk about the abomination of desolation that Daniel even spoke about. But in all of that, he lifted up his voice and spoke to them. Boys, he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. You got to run as though you're the one obtaining. You got to run with awe. You can't draw back, give up, throw in the towel. You got... You must run to win. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying this. Every day that we live, uh, we're running a qualifying race. Every trial we go through, we're running a qualifying race. From my understanding, there are 35 races that lead up to the Kentucky Derby in order for that horse to race in that race. They call it the road to the Derby. In other words, that horse can't just race any race and get to the Kentucky Derby. He has to race a certain path. He has to race certain circuits. There's certain races that have to be a part of his history in order to be a part of the derby. I come to tell you tonight, there are some races that are predestined and prescribed for you and I because we're on a road too. It's to a different derby. And I guarantee you, I know 
that each of those races build upon the other and in essence they are the overarching it's like as though the whole Kentucky Derby race is in essence the last leg of the journey I know there's the triple crown another two races beyond that for that circuit but what I'm saying is this those 35 races are just qualifying amen maybe a mile mile and an eighth but when they get to the Kentucky Derby it's a mile and a quarter and they're right about to step their hooves on something at a length and a distance that they've never done before and the only indication for their success is based upon how they ran their previous races someone say amen and so I'm standing among a group of people today that some of you have ran the race of trial. Others ran the race of hardship. Others run the race of, of financial difficulty. Others run the race of poor health. Others have ran this race and that race. And all that I can see, what makes us good contenders for the last journey home is how we finish in our trial, how we finish in our unfavorable circumstances, how we finish whenever the cards are down and heads are hung low about whether or not we slack up or we persevere and we press on through. I guarantee you this tonight, if you can make it through some unhealthy times, if you can make it into, through some unprofitable times, there is quite a favor toward you in making it from this glory to the next glory because we're just qualifying right now. Some would say yes. Paul talks about this concept and idea of running a race throughout and throughout the epistles. Constantly bring it back up. That's the reason why in the closure of his life whenever he spoke to his son of the gospel Timothy, he could look Timothy in the face if you will by pen and paper and tell him Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 7. He says, I fought a good fight. You can read into it, look at it. Paul wasn't talking about a literal battle. He wasn't even figuratively talking about a fight. He was talking about the fight of a foot race. He says, I fought a good fight. Look what he says. I have finished my course. He didn't say that I was first. He didn't say I had the best time. But he says, I've come to the end. You can only obtain if you finish. Paul said, so run, so that you may obtain. But in order to obtain, you got to finish in this Christian walk. It's all about endurance. Paul said, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. And what does he say? There is a crown of righteousness laid up for me, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me on that day, but not to me only, but all them that love his appearing. Paul said, in a literal race, he said, there's only one that received the crown. But in the spiritual race, everybody that runs and everybody that finishes and everybody that endures and everybody that makes it through they all get a prize someone say amen Woo. Paul said in Philippians 3 he said I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Cypress. Word literally means there in the Greek press. He says, I stretch. In my little bit of research, the statement 
the statement that stood out to me was this it says at the end of the race of the derby this is simply the means of the winner it's not the jockey it's not the owner but it's the stretching of the nose of the horse with nostrils flared that a camera may be able to catch in one four hundredth of a second but it was the stretch that could make the difference I know sometimes as we get closer to the end of a thing we want to settle back on our heels sometimes because we're already feeling the comfort of the conclusion that we're premature in our celebration huh it's going to happen so I'm just going to take it easy ride this out <laughs> honey that is not that is not what Paul admonished us to do he says if you want to take me an example he said I press what do you mean Paul he says I know that my end and my departure is near he even told some of them he understood that his departure was at hand but he says nevertheless I'm stretching I, I, I'm stretching I, I'm not drawing back I'm not settling down I'm not becoming comfortable but I'm stretching I'm trying to ask us as a church tonight please don't get at ease in Zion in the time of the last leg of the journey home we need to be stretching we need to be reaching we need to be having our heads forward we we need to be running to win this thing. Man, I got to hurry. And so, the winner that went across the line yesterday had ran 35 races leading up to the race yesterday. And used to, they used to get awarded positions there at the Derby based upon their winnings alone, monetary winnings. They changed that years ago and it's a it's a point system that they now use. They accumulate points by the positions that they were in in the races leading up to the Derby. And so to qualify then at the Churchill Downs Arena, that horse, as I said, had to enter in a series of races called the Road to the Derby. They were prescribed. They were tailor-made for those that would be running in that particular race. Now listen to me well. I got a few points to make before I'm done with this, okay? I got about four points I need to make. But listen to me well. Whenever those horses showed up in the arena at Louisville, Kentucky yesterday, whenever they showed up, folks, they were dressed to the hilt. They were adorned and dressed to the hilt. Listen to Pastor, though. Yet, from my understanding, they have weigh-ins before the race starts because they are limited by weight restrictions about how much weight the horse can be carrying. Are you listening to me? As a matter of fact, their jockey that sits on their back, the one who guides them is the one that makes up the majority of the weight that they're allowed. I think it's somewhere around 127 pounds that they're allowed on them. So, they can't go overboard in their appearance because the first priority is the jockey that guides them. Woo! That's on their back. 
in their little dorning, they have these little things. Uh, in our terminology, we call them blinders. They call them blinkers. But these little cup-like shaped devices that's placed next to their eyes that will keep that horse from seeing anything but from what's directly in front of him or her. Now, there's something I want to tell you tonight concerning our success in the last leg of the journey. Our success, or even for these horses, how do they fare in that last eighth of the mile of the journey of the derby amen and I said to you no doubt a lot of it is attributed to their endurance but I believe there are four sub points that helps out or either hinders their endurance and number one that is this something that tells how well the horse is going to fare or for our purposes we will fare and the last portion of our journey is this is how subjective we are to distraction. Someone say amen. How subjective we are to distractions. Someone say amen. Paul said, I press toward the mark in the arena at Corinth, the stadium, the stadia as it is in the New Testament. It was a stadium that had a rink in it that was just more or less a straight rink of about 607 English feet. There was a square pillar at the beginning of that track. Midway, there was another square pillar. And at the very end, there was a third square pillar. And they would run short races, which consisted of the length of the stadium. They would run middle middle distance races, which consisted of the length of the stadium and turning around and running right back. It wasn't this curvature stuff that we have today. Just basically a straight run. Then they had long distance. We might call it cross-country running. But that consisted of 24 lengths of the stadium. Back and forth, back and forth. Now what we got to understand with, you go out to the snake pit tonight and you're going to find some nice lines on the track so that the runners that get in their lane can remain in their lane because they got these painted lines on the ground well that wasn't the case in their day the only thing that they had in order to keep them straight on the path that they started on was to keep their eyes down at the last square pillar where the judge was and had the prizes and if those runners kept their eyes on where they were headed they were more likely not to veer off from where they started What are you saying? I'm saying if they diverted their eyes anywhere else, there's a probability that they would get in the lane of the one next to them. There's the probability that they could even cause someone to stumble or fall or they to stumble or fall themselves. But when they kept honed in on the prize at the end and let the distractions go by the wayside, there was a greater probability that the way that they started the race would be the way that they finished the race. And that... Some would say glory. glory. Something that's going to happen for us in the last leg is this, whether or not we can minimize distractions. We look at a man called Saul who started his journey well. 
very humble spirit, hid himself among the stuff, although he was head and shoulders among every other individual. He was chosen. Amen. The people wanted the king. Samuel talked to God about it. God said, give them their king. And it seemed like the man that was fit for the job. He, when he was among the prophets, he prophesied, everything's going well. Everything's going honorable. But you know what happened to Saul? You know one of Saul's major pitfalls is that he allowed David to become a distraction. That wasn't so much David's fault as it was Saul's fault. In so much, Brother Terry, that while Brother Saul, if I could call him, was out and about and he was trying to seek down David, take David's life, remove his memory from the earth, all the while this is happening, the real enemy called the Philistines are, are gathering their forces, they're bulking up their artillery, and the Bible says whenever David finally went to the city of Gath among Achish, that the Bible says that Saul learns that he's going to have a battle on his hands against the Philistines. And the Bible says on Mount Gilboa, it was Saul and his sons whose lives were taken by the Philistines. Now, I ponder and present this question tonight. I wonder if the outcome would have been different if he had not been distracted by David and it kept the main focus who the real enemy was. Started good, but it didn't end well because somebody got distracted. Someone say amen. One of the high water marks of Josiah. The Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles 34 and 2. The Bible says that he did right in the sight of the Lord just like he walked in the ways of his father David. And here's what it says. It says that Josiah declined neither to the right hand nor to the left hand. He says, I'm starting on a path right here. I'm pressing. I'm stretching toward a mark. And I'm not going to be distracted. Could have he have been? You better believe it. He could have been. He came in a time of dismal concerning the history of Israel. They are sacrificing on high mountains. They're bowing down to gods. But he came with a spirit of revival and reformation. And how did he do the things that he did in his generation? Because he kept his eyes where his eyes needed to be and he wasn't distracted by the voice. Because I guarantee you he was met with opposition that said, Josiah, over the past few years, we've been doing this on the high hills. Over the past few years, we've been bound to these idols. What in the world are you doing? This is not what we need to be doing. He didn't listen to that type of garbage because he had his focus. He said, there's an eighth of a mile on this journey. I got to finish well. And so I can't be distracted about what's happened before. Did not Jesus tell his disciples in Luke 9, 62, and Jesus spoke to them and said, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Number one, you can't plow straight lines looking backward. Number two, you have put more emphasis on what's behind you than the goal that's in front of you. You got to run this thing to win. And it's hard to run it to win when you are infatuated more by what's behind you than you are in front of you. That's a great point right there. It's hard to run to win when you're still distracted by your past more so than you are your future. 
Bible tells me we're not of those that draw back. Paul said in Hebrew, he said, we're not of those that draw back. He says, I'm in this thing. One person said like this, a contestant. He said, if I'm going to run it, I'm running it to win it, or I'm not running it. I said, well, that's quite arrogant. That ain't arrogant. That's just a tenacity that, hey, whenever I got involved in this thing, I meant to give it everything I got with purpose and intent. We've got to minimize the distractions for this last leg of the journey home. On May the 6th of 1954, there was a man by the name of Roger Bannister. He became the first man in history to run a mile in less than four minutes. Nobody had ever done that prior to that time, but Roger Bannister there in 1954 ran a mile in less than four minutes. He was a great inspiration to many. Nobody thought it could be done, but once it was achieved and the precedent had been set, then everybody had this fun that maybe they could do it as well. And so then less within two months' time that he broke that record, there was another man by the name of John Landy who eclipsed his record by 1.4 seconds. He was 1.4 seconds quicker than Roger Bannister. And so as a result of that, on August the 7th of 1954, these two men, Roger Bannister and John Landy, met together for a very historical race between the two of them. And as they began to race, and they were moving into the last lap, Landy, the one who had beat Bannister's record, was in the lead. And it looked as though if he would win. But as he neared the finish line, there was a nagging question that was haunting him in the back of his mind. And his question was this, I wonder where Bannister is. And as he looked behind him to see where he was, Bannister took the lead in that moment, amen, and won the race. And Landy later found a Time Magazine reporter and told them, he said, if I had not looked back he said I would have won the race ladies and gentlemen I'm saying to you tonight we got to minimize distractions there'll be nagging questions that come up in your mind and say I wonder where so and so is I wonder where that one is I wonder what life would have been like if those nagging questions are just there to try to get you to turn around don't do it don't do it we're in the last leg of the journey I don't want to sacrifice a win in this race because of a distraction it's not worth it someone say amen you may be seated there's something else that I think contributes to the endurance of the last leg of the trip secondly it is the weight it is the weight Paul said in Hebrews 12 1 he said wherefore seen we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. He said, let us lay aside every weight and sin which does so easily beset us. Let us run the race, run with patience the race that is set before us. Paul, again, referring to something very natural race, but transposing it to something very spiritual. He spoke to them about weights in the natural. Again, those runners... They, they, they streamlined their bodies so that they weren't carrying extra flesh. Diet determined that they were lean machines. They were not carrying extra flesh because extra flesh couldn't be afforded in the race. Brother Zach McGee, neither can it be afforded in this race, extra flesh. I'm not talking about the natural. I'm talking about we can't afford extra flesh. They even speak historically. Now, again, 
allegories are not equal as far as in parallel to parallel. They, many of them, would run even without any clothes because they didn't want the hindrance of the extra weight. Someone say amen. Paul says, we're laying aside every weight, every sin that so easily possessed, because we got to run a race with patience. He continues in verse 2, looking into Jesus, what? The author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured, everybody say endured, the cross, despising the shame, is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So we got to consider him that endured. And so again, we're kind of going back to this whole endurance idea and concept. Paul says we got to run the race. We got to run patience. With patience, we got to run this race. And then he parallels that with the endurance that Christ endured through the suffering of the cross and through the despising and the shame, meaning that our running with patience is a running with endurance. But in to do that, to run with endurance, you must lay aside some things. You, someone say you must. You must lay aside some things. And for our purposes tonight of the derby, they're going to by most sacrifice everything, but they can't sacrifice the jockey. You can cut corners everywhere else. And the jockey might be able to lose some weight, but they're small, folks. A lot of them about 115 pounds. <laughs> That's not much left for the 127. But they got to have the jockey. Because the jockey is what gives guidance to the horse. Here's how we get it flubbed up. We want to cut corners on the jockey. And make allowances other places. Because we underscore what we deem important. But the reality of the fact is this. The jockey is what gives the guidance. And we can't be shortchanging on who's giving the guidance. I'm not subtracting from the master. I'm not subtracting from God. I'm not pushing him back in the corner and putting bounds and limitations on him because he's the one that's given the guidance for me in this last eighth of the mile of the journey. He's the one that's given the, the guidance for me in these perilous times where the Bible says they're unholy and unthankful, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Honey, if there's ever a time I need a jockey in my life, I need a tool of guidance in my life, it's in the last leg of the journey. The Bible says there'll be those that'll be deceived, others will hear lies and accept it I need a guider in my life I, I can't compromise on that front someone say amen man I gotta hurry this is the, I just, it wasn't supposed to be this long I'm telling you right now it's Mother's Day God bless them the third thing though that contributes to this endurance theory is their bloodline their bloodline again People are studying pedigrees that go back centuries to put the right stallion with the right mare to produce the right horse for these races. The right muscle tone and height. The right performance. And in doing this, they are studying the performance of family trees to ensure that the performance of what's born here will match of what preceded it. I don't know this for a fact, but I, I guarantee you there's some people that's trying to tap into the bloodline, the secretariat, because of the 1973 record that was set that is yet to be broken. B 
because they believe that there is a certain chemistry that is there found in the bloodline of that particular horse that if they can tap into it and maybe have a mix with that just a little bit of something that they might be the next one that is breaking a record someone say amen bloodline is important to the endurance the, the stealthiness the the the, the stalwart if you willness of the horse all due to its bloodline folks let me tell you something concerning the endurance of this race that we're in a lot of it's got to do with the bloodline. The Bible says in Titus 3 and 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but he says, but according to his mercy. Everybody say mercy. He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Peter told us that ye are a chosen generation royal priesthood a holy nation a peculiar people that you should shoot forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into this marvelous light folks we are called a chosen generation because we've been adopted into the family of God and adopted children are chosen children mm -hmm. adopted children are chosen children However, in Titus, when we read regeneration, the word generation comes from the Greek word genos, where we get our word gene and genetics, which come from our biological parents. But whenever we become a part of the family of God, the Bible says it's by the washing of regeneration generation or regeneos or regenetics in other words genetics refer to our or generation and genetics refer to our natural offspring and so the only way we can be a chosen natural offspring of God since he adopted us is if he regenes us someone say amen Remember now in Ephesians 1, the Bible spoke and Paul spoke to the Ephesians. He said that the church was predestined, amen, to the adoption of the children of Christ Jesus. The church was. Everybody say the church. The church was. Amen. It said that we were predestined in Romans 8.28. We were predestined, meaning the church. The church was predestined to conform to the image of Jesus Christ. But what bears answering is this how can you be adopted by Jesus Christ and still have the image of Jesus Christ but because an adopted child normally has the image of their biological parents so how can an adopted child of Christ have the image of Christ because in the natural this is impossible for an adopted child to have the image of its adoptive parents but it's not the case in the spiritual. Someone say amen. It's not the case in the spiritual because whenever he saved us by his mercy and by his grace, he washed us by regeneration. He redeemed us. He gave us a bloodline that we did not have prior to our experience, prior to our adoption. He redeemed us. And so the last leg of this journey is not predisposed to my biological parents or my heritage or where I came from or what my life experiences have been. They come from the bloodline that I've been redeemed for. 
So I am not just an adopted one of Christ. I bear the image of Christ. Someone say amen. Y'all got a few minutes. This is the last. This is number four. Anybody's been counting. Fourth sub thing that I believe that encourages or hurts or hinders this endurance factor. Again, remember, number one, we've got to minimize distractions. Number two, we need to minimize the weight. Number three, we need to, we need to maximize our bloodline. But number four, what can hurt or hinder this endurance thing? And this might seem like it's kind of out of the norm for what everything we're talking about tonight. But what can hurt or hinder it is our walk. I didn't say run. Is our walk. And this is the reason why I say this for our purposes here this evening. I think we have great biblical, biblical premise. But also in the natural world for the story that we're speaking of and the event of horse racing, we have a premise as well. They have done studies, computer studies, fast speed cameras of an excess of 5,000 racehorses. And in doing so, with their studies, they have revealed a way to predict whether or not a young horse will develop into a good running horse according to an article in US Today USA Today a professor at Massachusetts Institute of Technology used these computers and these high speed cameras to find how good horses race horses truly ran and he said that he discovered that the legs of a fast horse operate much like spokes on a wheel because the way spokes on a wheel go they are to distribute the pressure that's being bore upon them in so much that as one spoke is leaving contact with the ground another spoke is making contact with the ground okay they said the horses that were excellent peak running horses operated much like that that each leg touched down only as a leg before it was pushing off from the ground. And they said doing so meant that there was peak efficiency in the run. For that matter, just kind of a side note, I looked up the word run in Webster, you know, because he's the authority on definitions, they say. And Rep Webster says that to run is, listen to this, this is just mind-boggling, this just might be extra dessert, I don't know. But he says to run is to go steadily by springing steps so that both feet leave the ground for an instant in each step. Folks, what I believe then running is, is just practicing for rapture. Because there's a moment in every step in your run that both feet are off the ground. It's not meaningful to you, but it was me today, this afternoon. So, so in this, 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 this evaluating of how they run, these, these later studies disclose this information for those that are in this field. That, listen to me, a horse's manner of walking 
changes little after the first few months. In other words, the first few months of its life, it will learn to walk. And however it walks in those first few months, by and large, will be the way that it walks for the rest of its life. How its feet hit the ground, one behind the other. Its manner of walking in those first few months is the way that it will probably walk the rest of its life. There's little changes in that. And so whenever they did a motion analysis of whenever horses were young they could predict by how they walked how well they would run they could take a young coat and study his manner of walk and say when he matures to an adult he's going to be a good runner and I can base that upon how he's walking Someone say glory. And so if we really boil it down, the derby that we say is about the horses that run well is really boiled down to how the horse walked before it even ever ran. The apostle said in Ephesians 1 or 4 and 1, he said, I therefore... Speaking about the glorious church that we've been born into. He says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. He said, I beseech you, Ephesians. I beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you, you are called. What vocation were they called to? They were called to be a part of the church. They were called to be a part of the body of Christ. They were called to be a part of the church of the living God. And he says, let your walk match your vocation." In other words, you've been called to such a high calling of being a part of the church. Let your manner of walk, of how you take your steps, let that match, let that be equal to the vocation for which you have been called. Can someone say amen? (laughs) And so what we understand here, perhaps that's a reason why the Lord spoke that we need not despise the day of small things because only the day of large things are made up of small things. The run is made up of a walk. Someone say amen. And so we don't, need to, we don't need to shrug off the simplicity of walking in this course of life. Because as one man said it, and this is very basic, but I, I'm going to preach it till I die. That a walk just consists of two steps. That's a walk. Two steps that are taken over, 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 and over again. The New Testament writer told us what it was in Ephesians 4. He said, you take off the old man and you put on the new man. Taking off the old man is one step. Putting on the new man is the second step. But if you can repeat that over and over again in a walk, you can mature and grow to adulthood and run doing the same thing. Taking off the old and putting on the new. And how you define your walk when you're you're young will influence your run when you're old. Stand with me, I come to a close. I'm shutting down, really am. Sorry. I don't know what happened. I got less notes than what I normally have and preach longer. You don't want me to come up here for blank page, folks. So run to win. Run to win. There's races all along the journey. 
that's qualifying us for the last leg of the journey. And much of that is hinged upon our endurance. And a lot of that endurance is hinged upon those things I stated tonight, whether or not we're going to be distracted, how weighted down we are or not are. The bloodline, being tapped into that royal blood, being the church that he purchased by his blood. And it's determined about our walk that's even happening in our formative years of our relationship with the Lord. Someone say amen. I heard a minister just say here very recently, I was listening to a sermon, and he said he heard a minister say, so this is like third string information. It's just a statement, so I don't have to I don't have to find out all the context and study the background to see if it's right or true, okay? Because it's just a statement. He said, Boy, you know, the Lord really knew what he was doing. When he had the children of Israel and those that would be born in the wilderness walking all those years. Because their first place in the land of Canaan of Jericho was really going to be victory or defeat by their walk. For 40 years, their walk in the wilderness, what by a lot of people, you know, they're wandering around, seemingly walking in circles, as some would say. But whenever they came to Jordan that second time, the first place they were to go to was Jericho. And God says, Joshua, here's the battle plan. I know y'all been walking for 40 years. Here's the battle plan. I want you to walk. Seven times, on the seventh time, seven times. And then you shout. We ascribe a lot of the victory of Jericho to the shout. Wow! And that is valid and that is important. But I think equally valid and equally important is the walking that preceded the shout. Sometimes the victories, some of the last miles of the journey are going to be predisposed to how we walk. An old song used to say, I want to live the way that He wants me to live. If I could superimpose in that, I want to walk the way that He wants me to walk. I want to run the way that He wants me to run. I want to run so that I might obtain. I don't care how quick you are. The overall time of the races is not really where it's at. It's the endurance in the last leg of the journey. Listen, because yesterday there was somebody that got two million dollars. Listen to me. And their times, by and large, were all within seconds, if not milliseconds, fifth of seconds from each other so with that brother Terry we could say all of those were fast but what it boiled down to somebody had just a little bit more endurance in the last eighth mile we bow our heads across this place tonight we need to run to win we need to run to win because folks from my vantage point from my vantage point I see the last square pillar ahead of me that's beckoning unto me saying this is the finish but with that understanding I need not draw back I need not be trying to be listening to the all the nagging questions in my mind while I wonder about so and so or wonder about that one no 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 
I got to keep my eye on the prize. I need to press. I need to stretch. I need to minimize distractions. I know I've been born again of the water. I know the bloodline's there. I know the bloodline's there. And I, I know I've been trying to cast things away that are hindrances without compromising my director. All right. And I know that I'm trying to walk worthy of the vocation, the church that he's called me into. We got to run to win. Someone lift their hand right now if you're saying, God, that's me. I, I, I want to run to win this thing. I want to run to obtain. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.